This is day 12 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Genesis chapters 45 through 48 and Psalm chapter 12. Lord God, thank you for another day. We appreciate, Lord, the grace and the joy and the peace that you give us. Your world is so fascinating, Lord. The lives that you've given us are so interesting. We don't always recognize that day to day. We don't always stop to appreciate the small, finer things in life. So often they are overlooked by the busyness of our days and the sorrows that we experience, the stresses that we deal with. But Lord, you are perfect. Your creation was perfect. And you created it for us. And you gave us dominion over it. Lord, help us to appreciate who you are and Help us to experience you better through your creation. Help us to snap out of our own busyness and help us to appreciate the world around us more, as well as to appreciate what we have. So often we are ungrateful, Lord, and we cannot be this way. Help us to have a heart of gratitude toward you always. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. 
and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys, loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben, Hanak, and Palu, and Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, 
and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola and Puva and Eob and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered and Elon and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion and Hagi and Shuni and Esbon, Eri and Arodi and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna and Ishva and Ishvi and Bariah and their sister Sarah. And the sons of Bariah, Heber and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these sixteen persons. The sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin, Bela and Bekur, and Ashbel, Gera, and Naaman, Ehi, and Rosh, Mupim, and Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob. There were fourteen persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, and Guni, and Jazer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel. And she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob, who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were sixty-six persons in all. And all the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who came to Egypt, were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph, to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock 
from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that we, you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in all the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed, that we may live and not die, 
and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the length of Jacob's life was one hundred and forty-seven years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. 
When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and the left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I will give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Psalm chapter 12 For the choir director, upon an eight-stringed lyre, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, 
refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Okay, beginning in chapter 45, we see that Joseph could not hold himself back any longer. So he finally revealed himself fully to his brothers. He revealed that he is indeed Joseph, the one that was sold into slavery during those many years ago. And they were freaking out when they heard about that. But when he called them to himself, Joseph was able to show them that he really was their brother. And they were all overjoyed. But the most important thing to understand from this chapter is something that Joseph says. He says in verse 5, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. Did you catch those two key things that he said? The first thing he said was that God sent Joseph to Egypt for a remnant. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is a reoccurring theme throughout all of Scripture. A remnant is something that you will see often. This is not the first time we've seen it in the book of Genesis. The first time we saw it was in the genealogy of Adam. His genealogy mentions specific names of descendants that lead up to Noah. But it also says that he had other sons and daughters, and every descendant also had other sons and daughters, But there was one child in each of these generations that was going to lead to the Messiah. So that is the first time we see the remnant in the Bible. And then the second time we see it is at the flood. Everyone on the planet was destroyed except for Noah and his family. God preserved a remnant of people to continue on the face of the earth. The concept of the remnant will be seen often throughout all of Scripture. We today, as true Christians who are born again by the Holy Spirit, are the remnant of this day. There are not many of us, right? If you look at it from a purely statistical vantage point, numbers-wise, when you look at all the people that are on this planet, how many people would you say are Christian? Truly Christian. Not the ones that put the label of Christian on them. Not the ones who think they're in the Christian club, but the ones that are genuinely saved. It's probably a very small number of people. And so we are the remnant of today. The concept of the remnant is significant because it shows that God preserves a group of people for his purposes. He calls a group of people to himself, and he identifies them with him directly. That is a huge honor. And in this case, the nation of Israel is being established here. We see that 70 people sojourned from Canaan into Egypt, 
And it's going to continue to grow from there until we get to the Exodus, which is going to be a few hundred years later. And by the time we reach the Exodus, the nation of Israel is about a million people. So indeed, God preserves a remnant for a greater purpose. And because he preserves Jacob's family, then he's able to demonstrate his power in the Exodus. And eventually, this line of people is going to lead up to the Messiah, the Chosen One, the one that's going to save us forever. So God did all this intentionally. He purposely preserves people for himself. And that is the concept of the remnant. This is where we see it mentioned specifically here. The second thing he mentions is in verse 8, where he says that, You did not send me here. God sent me here. This is another instance of the sovereignty of God at play here. God completely controls our destiny. God decides what is going to happen to us. Psalm 139 says it best, All the days of my life have been written, and yet none of them have happened yet. This one is heavily debated, and I have had discussions with people on this one because some people don't understand or fully grasp the concept of what it means to have a destiny, what it means to have your days prescribed for you. Some people will hold a position that because God is all-knowing, he is all-wise, he knows who is going to accept him and who is not. Because he knows everything, he knows all the decisions that we're going to make, and so he allows it to happen, and that is why he calls it destiny. But that gives humans way too much credit, doesn't it? We are not in control of our destinies. Think about all the things that were going on in the Bible. Do you think Joseph purposely did what he did? He wasn't in control of the dreams that he had. He wasn't in control of his interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. He wasn't responsible for the behavior of Potiphar's wife toward him. He was not at all responsible for the reaction of his brothers when they were jealous of him and wanted to kill him. He had nothing to do with any of that. He was along for the ride, wasn't he? And yet, that shaped his destiny in such a way that because he was there, it allowed him to become second in command of all of Egypt for the purpose that he mentions here, to preserve lives, not only the lives of Egyptians, but the lives of his own family, because God had a providential plan for his family. God is responsible for all the events of this world in some way or another. He may not be actively deciding it, but he does allow it. And when it comes to authorities, it does say elsewhere in Scripture, in multiple places, that God establishes all kings. He appoints people into leadership, from a leader in the home, to a leader in the workplace, to a world power. They are all established by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. Since he created everything, he is completely in control of everything that happens in his creation. There is no point as a human being where you can become autonomous from him. 
where you can be completely independent of him. That is impossible. Because you exist on his timeline, by his will, you are subject to his control. And you have very little control of your lives, if you really see it like that. Does that mean that he makes all the decisions for us? No. He allows you to make your own decisions. That's why he gave us free will, right? But some people misunderstand what free will truly is. We are able to make decisions based on the disposition and the personality that God gave us. But at the same time, if God wanted to intervene and directly affect you in some way, does he have the authority and the right to override you in some way? He absolutely does. That's what we call salvation. Salvation didn't come from you. It's not because you simply just believe that Jesus is Lord. There had to be something inside you that changed for you to be able to see him like that. It's not that you are more intellectually able than other people. It's not that you have some kind of innate, natural faith than other people. It's because God revealed himself to you and caused a transformation in your soul that allowed you to see Jesus Christ for who he truly was. That's what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be called to salvation. No one comes to the Father except when the Father draws him, as Jesus said. So if we are not saved unless God calls you to salvation, then it is not of us. Paul said it best. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God did it. God saved you. God showed you who he was, and you decided to accept it. That's what it means to be saved. So yes, did God purposely orchestrate Joseph's life so that he was in the right place at the right time to fulfill God's purpose? Absolutely he did. That's what it means for him to be sovereign. And Joseph understood that. He recognized the sovereignty of God in all this. And because God planned it, he wouldn't have it any other way. And I fully am convinced that even if Joseph was not ever taken out of jail, if he was not appointed to be the most powerful leader second to Pharaoh in Egypt, I think he would still maintain his position because of all the wonderful things that he had seen God do in his life. He was fully convinced that God is sovereign, and he understood that as an absolute truth, and so should we. The rest of the chapter talks about how Pharaoh is willing to have all the family come to Egypt and to give them the best portion of land, which is in the land of Goshen. Chapter 46 shows that God comforts Jacob in confirming that this is indeed his plan for Jacob. And so Jacob goes willingly to the land of Egypt with his entire family, which numbers 70 people. When they get to Egypt, they pay their respects and they go before Pharaoh. First his brothers, and then Jacob himself, who mentions to Pharaoh that he is 130 years old. 
Then we see Joseph making some really big moves in how the government system of Egypt works. Because as the famine is getting more severe and the people are running out of money, Joseph permitted grain to be exchanged for their animals and finally for their property. And by this, that means that Pharaoh now owned all the land of Egypt, except for the area where the priests lived. And while I don't know this for a fact, I'd be very curious to look at the Egyptian culture more deeply in those ancient days, if this practice was still maintained after the time of Joseph. Because it mentions that Pharaoh would get one-fifth of everything, and four-fifths would be for the people. And it makes me wonder if the way that Joseph did this, and the manner in which God used Joseph to consolidate all the land of Egypt under Pharaoh, created some sort of monarchy that had not existed before. It's very interesting to think about. But I'm not an expert in that stuff, so this is just speculation from my side. Now, chapter 48, to end the book of Genesis for today, shows an interesting thing that looks a little bit familiar to when Jacob was in the womb. It mentions here that Joseph brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob in order to receive a blessing. Then Jacob pulls a move that confuses Joseph, but is completely God's will for this to happen. In this culture, the firstborn is the successor, and usually gets a double portion of the inheritance that the younger brothers don't get. But in this case, just like Jacob got the blessing and not Esau, he crossed his hands and blessed the younger brother instead of the older brother. This was not a move that he pulled on his own. And God makes it clear by mentioning that he can't see. He did this intentionally because God directed him to do this. Again, God's sovereignty at play here. So when he crossed his hands, Joseph didn't like what he saw. He's like, hey, no, 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 Dad, you got this all wrong. This guy is supposed to be the one that gets the blessing, not him. And then he says, he's like, I know, son, I know. But don't fight this. He's going to be great too, but the blessing is going to be on this guy. And through this blessing as well, just like Jacob said would happen, the nations of Manasseh and Ephraim are counted among the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, how does that make sense? There are 12 brothers, and then you have Ephraim and Manasseh. That's 14, right? How is that possible then? Well, don't forget these two things. For one, there is no portion of the land of Israel when they go back to the promised land that is called the area of Joseph. Instead, Joseph's area is cut into Ephraim and Manasseh. So that takes Joseph's name out. We are down to 13. Another person that doesn't get an inheritance land-wise is Levi because Levi is going to be the line of priests. They don't have land. They don't have a specific territory. They have territory within the boundaries of each tribe, but they don't have their own area, because it says that the Lord is their inheritance. So that drops it down to 12, so that makes sense. Psalm chapter 12 is very similar to some of the other psalms we've read in how you see that David is struggling with people that are out to get him. 
the agenda of ungodly, evil people. That is something we can all relate with, I'm sure. We know of people in our lives that are always out to scheme against us, or out to try and take advantage of situations, or they care nothing about you as an individual. They're everywhere. But what David again directs us to do, no matter what kind of season of life we're in, no matter how much evil is mounting against us, God's word is true. The true words of the Lord are pure. They are like silver that is refined seven times, seven being a perfect number. This is the number of completion. And so when it's talking about here that the silver had been refined seven times, this is symbolic of all impurities have been taken out of that silver. The silver had been solidified and then melted down, and all the impurities have been removed from it seven times to give you the purest form of silver. That's how pure God's Word is. Everything that he says is true, and everything that he says is valuable. Why should we worry about what other people are doing when we have the words of our Lord to keep us strengthened? The words of the Lord will preserve his people forever. And so we have nothing to worry about. And that's why it mentions the very last verse of this short psalm is that the wicked strut about on every side. And when I think about people strutting about, it reminds me of chickens or birds that show off their feathers and have that air of pride about them. But that's the extent of their existence. They strut around like everything is great, but there is nothing more than that. It is so shallow. It is so empty. And at the end, that's all it will ever be. And so that's why it's so important that we as Christians need to be vocal about the things of God and the gospel. Because they're going to strut about on every side thinking they can do whatever they want, but their souls are in great jeopardy. And we need to see it like that. It's not about us anymore. We have been called out of that world, and we are secure in Christ. Let's worry about other people. That's why we received the Great Commission. It doesn't say anything about taking care of yourself, and then when you have some time, go and make disciples. It simply says to go and make disciples. Much in the same way that Jesus said you deny yourself daily, take up your cross daily, and follow him. It's not about you anymore. You're already secure. Let's take care of everyone else. The oxygen mask has been put on you. Now it's time for you to put the oxygen mask on someone else. As you probably saw coming, our scripture to memorize today is going to be Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.